We're back, baby. Cheryl Shaw, hello. Welcome back to you. It's been a fortnight. Yes, it has, Sarah. But someone that we haven't heard the lovely sounds of for a long time, Dr. Kimberly Earl. Welcome back. Thank you. It's so fun to be back again. How how long has it been since you last graced the airways? Uh, listen, it's probably coming close to two years almost. Oh, my Yeah, 18 goodness. months or more, yeah. Wow, well, it's lovely <laughs> to have you back in. And Cheryl, you're wearing a bird today, which must mean we're talking something to do with birds. Absolutely, Sarah. It's back on again, National Bird Week. This is great, Kimberly. You were just saying that you do this with your daughter and she loves it. It's super fun. The backyard, the Aussie National Backyard Bird Count is a really, really great way for um, regular citizens to get involved in some citizen science and count the local birds in your area. And it really helps you to get an awareness of how many different native bird species and some non-native bird species you have in your local neighbourhood. It's great. Now, Cheryl, you're wearing your beautiful birds today. You said you've had that brooch since you were at school. I have. It's one of the Gould League brooches and I've had it since I was seven. So I'm really into birds and I love what's going to happen next week with the bird count. Tell us about it. Now, this is an annual event. Yep, it's been happening since 2014. So, you know, it's gaining in momentum as well. Lots more participants are are getting on board. And it's a really fun thing, like Kimberly was saying, what she does with her daughter. It's so much fun to do. You know, age doesn't matter. You can all get involved. And it's so simple. So it actually starts next week. It starts on Monday the 19th and goes through until Sunday the 25th. What people need to do is get on online and download their app so that they've got all of the information about what what birds. There's an app that shows what birds are what to help identify. So if you're not even familiar with a, a bird, you'd be able to get a little bit of assistance by using the app. And it doesn't take much time either. It's only done for 20 minutes. So it's not a like you can do it day or night too. You don't have to just say, oh, I don't have time during the day because there's nocturnal birds as well. And you can do it down by the beach. You can do it in your backyard. Oh, you can. It doesn't have to be anywhere at all. So okay. although they call it the backyard count, it can be done anywhere and obviously it's a really important time this year because so many birds have had to migrate from where they've lived due to horrendous bushfires Mm. lots of drought so it's a really good um, time for us to see just what's going on I mean last year um, I was just um, blown apart by how many birds were actually in my yard when I sat for 20 minutes and just listened and and this year I've got a new bird that suddenly came I have a bush turkey who has never been there we've been there 35 years and he's just turned up. So so there may be some changes that we yeah, discover this definitely. year because of the bushfires. Yeah. So mm. I think a lot of habitat is being destroyed, both mm. by people, you know, um, building and, and mm. you know, loss of habitat. So birds are having to live with us a lot more and moving into our environment and sharing it. So the bird count is a great opportunity for people to get on board this citizen um, project of science and doing that count to help this um, this organisation, which is a non-profit organisation, find out just what's happening, just how they're inhabiting our environments. Cheryl, if we join up to do it, so Mm -hmm. we know it's 20 minutes and it can Mm -hmm. be morning or night, do you have to commit to the seven days? Can you do it once and go, I've just done a one? Okay, that's handy. Yeah. 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 And so when you do it, do you actually do more than one count or how have you done yours? Yeah, so, I mean, we have a bit of a routine. My daughter and I will get up a bit early next week, usually in the mornings. We'll eat our breakfast outside and we'll do a bird count um, outside, sort of watching what's in 
our local backyard. Um, my daughter would do them over and over and over again if she could. <laughs> so you'd basically, for every 20-minute period, um, you just set the little timer on the app um, and then count the birds. It's, it's a really easy, simple thing to use. That's great. Um, and then, you know, on my days off, I might go and take myself for a, um, a walk down at the lake or I might go um, to the um, the park across the road for myself and I'll start the timer again on the beginning of my walk and I'll do another 20-minute count. And you can um, you can do as many as, as you like or as few as you like. Okay. Um, the app will get a little bit of basic information from you about whether or not, um, you know, what, what level of bird watcher you're at. I think, you know, they do beginner, intermediate and expert. Um, and that way, if um, if you count something that's like way out of field, out of left field, they and you're a beginner bird counter, they might sort of go, oh, that was probably a, you know, just a they miss They help site. you out a bit. That sort of thing, hmm. yeah. But it's really interesting, I think, to see what um, what's going on in your local neighborhood. I've really noticed this year that um, I, I always, for the last, well, I've been in my house for the last 10 years, and we always get channel-billed cuckoos in the spring. Yes. Um, I have seen no or heard no channel-billed cuckoos at all this year. And we get That's common sad. coals as well, um, and I've only heard them twice this year. So normally they start waking me up um, early, early in the morning, but it's only been two mornings this whole this year. So whether or not they've moved on or they just, you know, the resources that they're looking for that they normally get are just not in my local neighbourhood this year, it's really interesting. Yeah, I've still got some of those at my place because they lay their eggs in the um, magpie mm. and make the magpie mother... Oh, yes. They're young, yeah. then they come oh. back. So I have had a few, um, not as many or not as much noise, mm. I should say, because yeah. usually you hear the, the, the yelling, they're screeching. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's just interesting with these birds just how many um, may not be around for, for our conditions mm-hmm. that are happening. Really interesting. Look, I took the kids to Glenrock for the first time last weekend, so I'm thinking we might go there yeah. and, and do, a, do a bird yeah. count. We'll only do probably a one-off. We're yeah. beginners, but, yeah. you know, that's, that's better okay, than nothing. But Sarah. To yeah. be a novice is fine because, yeah. you know, you're going to identify birds that maybe no one else is going to count in that Glenrock area. So it's really important that people cool. download, mm. get the app, get on board and have a lot of fun with it. So mm. that's the Aussie Backyard Bird Count and it kicks off in four days, 11 hours, 37 minutes and 51 <laughs> seconds. So I've got a little note here. As you can see, I'm very yeah. organised, scribbling on a piece of paper to get the app so yeah. we can do that. So you might want to do the same. Now, speaking of birds, uh, one for you, Kimberly. We've just had a lady, Kelly, from Windale, who's um, sent us a Facebook message. And she said, look, I keep seeing this really pretty bird uh, in her backyard. Now, she thinks it's a blue-faced honey eater, mm-hmm. but she thought they normally lived up north. Can I show you a photo and can you tell us where yeah that's sure what it is? yeah so that's definitely a blue-faced honey eater i have um, a family of these guys in my neighborhood as well um they're definitely local to this area there's three subspecies so there's one subspecies that's just in the northern territory there's another subspecies that's in the cape and this the more um, common subspecies um, really goes all the way down the east coast of australia oh. um, queensland and all the way into um, mid new south wales and um yeah so that's definitely them they're a really um pretty bird they're very very it striking sort of yellow yellowy green on the back um, with a bright blue face um, they make some really interesting noises and you can sometimes hear some beak clacking and things as well they like to um uh-huh. they like to climb on my um uh, I've got a palm in my backyard and they pick the ants and stuff off and things so um, they're also a nectar feeding sort of um, sort of and they're a medium-sized bird like they're a decent you know a decent size yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. there you go, Kelly. Mm. That certainly is a blue-faced honey eater. Do you see them at your? No, I, I don't have those. Okay, mm. it's interesting. Mm. Now another one. We've had another uh, email as well. Jenny wants to know: Can you let quails out, or will they fly 
away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, listen, you could let them out, but there's lots of issues with that. So um, they're they're not big flyers. They mostly they can sort of they're like chickens. They can sort of jump up and flutter, but they're not big flyers. Okay. Um, but they're definitely a prey. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, prey bird, a prey species bird. So their um, their startle reflex is really really strong. And so the concern you have if you let them out of an aviary um, is that they may sort of startle and run under a bush, and then they may be too scared or too disoriented to make their way back. I do know of some people who will have them and let them out and you'd certainly only do it if they were very well established in their aviary so that they were very familiar with the okay. with the area and you might then try to like maybe use like a little exercise pen but like they're very some of them are very little and so they can get through very small spaces the other issue you have is that um we've got some big bully birds around so you'd have to be very careful of magpies kookaburras butcher birds even um certainly indian miners but even noisy miners sometimes so um you know it's probably not the safest for them you could certainly try um, but you wouldn't guarantee that you'll get them back Okay. Or not necessarily in one piece. At your own risk. At your own risk. At their risk, in <laughs> At fact. Their risk. Yeah, At their true. risk, in fact. Uh, now, also, hello to Christine. She loves listening to Pet Chat. Huge fan, and she's just uh, sent me a message. So, hello to you. Ian in Warrabrook, you've got budgies and a question for Kimberly about that. Yeah, I've just got the one budgie. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, we were told earlier, we didn't, don't know what sex she is. Okay. And we were told that if she was a fe- we thought she was a female, and we were told that after a year or two, she'd lay an egg. Okay. But she's about five now. She's never laid an egg, so we're just wondering. Okay. So what colour is the feathers of the budgie? Uh, she's blue and white. Okay. And what colour? You know the, um, the bit of fleshy tissue that has her nostrils in it? What colour is that? Um, that's, that's like a grey colour. It's not the blue or the... Or the brown, yeah. yeah. Some some of our color mutation budgies can be really difficult to sex them just based on their on their seer color. Um, so listen, I mean, I guess t- to know for sure if she's not one of those classic really dark blues or um, or obviously brown seers, then yeah. it, it could be a bit of a top up. Uh, sorry, toss up, um, <laughs> toss up. <laughs> but um, if um, if she hasn't laid an egg, that doesn't necessarily mean she's not a girl. And in fact, it's a good thing because if she's a girl and she's laying eggs, it can cause a lot of problems. Budgies get um, egg bound very easily. They have lots of issues that way. Um, Obviously, if she does at any point lay an egg, then clearly she's a girl but just because she hasn't laid an egg doesn't mean she's not a girl um it it can be difficult to tell without you know sort of dna sexing if they if they don't follow along the the classic lines of of um sexual dimorphism which is where they have a color change on the body then it can be really difficult to tell and certainly um with the birds that i see the more uh, further away from the wild type coloration you see, the harder it is to to make a sex determination based on color feathers. We see that really commonly in cockatiels. We see it in budgies. Um, some of our other sexually dimorphic species, it can it can really start to get a little bit complicated. So, um, but she could still be a girl. Um, hopefully, if she hasn't laid and she's five years of age, hopefully she won't lay. If she does, certainly um, you know you might need to seek some veterinary care for her because they can get egg bound very quickly. So. 
one oh. egg's not a catastrophe, but if she starts to lay repeatedly, um, they get very um, worn out very quickly. So, oh, is that what okay. egg bound means? Yeah, egg binding is basically where they've they've produced an egg, but they don't they're not able to get it out to actually lay the egg, and okay. that can come up for a lot of different reasons. But a lot of it has to do with poor nutrition, calcium deficiency, muscle fatigue. Sometimes the egg is just too darn big um, to come out. Um, but particularly if they're laying frequently, they tend to deplete themselves of calcium. And calcium is a required mineral for um, muscle contraction. So the birds will actually preferentially put eggs, uh, calcium, sorry, into the eggshells. They'll they'll drain their whole body and their bones oh. of calcium, preferentially put it into the egg and not leave anything for the actual muscle contraction required to lay the egg. Right. So we don't want them laying eggs then? If we're not actually trying to breed, no, we don't. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, chickens are sort of the exception to the rule because we yes. eat them. Um, but yeah, in our pet birds, we don't really want them laying and, and repeated laying can actually be very problematic. I spend a lot of my daily work life with birds trying to stop the laying. So do chickens get egg bound as well? They can. Yep. Okay. Mm, they oh, can. So interesting. There's so much mm. about birds. I mean, I know nothing <laughs> about birds and the more I hear about it, I go, wow, they're yeah. quite complex, they, aren't they? They're very complex and they're very different to our standard mammal sort of situation. And you can't always, um, you can't always sort of extrapolate the way you can with dogs and cats and mammals into birds. So mm. super excited about this one. I don't think we've had a question uh, on Pet Chat about rats, but Abby has given us a call. Now you've got a rat, but it's doing something a little um, unusual. Yeah, so it's got a bit of a head tilt. Oh, okay. Um, it's always to the same side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. always and, the same side. Yeah. And how long has it been going on for? Uh, just for the past maybe week or two. Okay. And how old is your rat, Abby? Uh, we're not 100% sure. We think it's about a year old. It was actually okay. surrendered to me. Okay. Um, yeah, sure. So, so it can, yeah. can be a few different things. We would obviously um, always start checking them for a middle ear infection. That would be the first thing, so a vestibular, um, a vestibular problem. Um, rats do like to get pituitary tumors, and some of those rats will develop a head tilt as well. Yep. Um, one years old isn't a super old rat, but it certainly isn't, wouldn't be you know, impossible to be a pituitary yep. tumor. Is, um, is he or she getting around still okay and eating and drinking and things like that normally? Still fairly normal. Yeah. Yeah. And any um, respiratory signs from your rat? Has it got any um, nasal discharge or difficulty breathing, anything like that? No, nothing at all. It's just a little bit wobbly every now and then. Yeah, okay, yeah. So it might just be vestibular. So if you can, um, I can see that you're in Sydney. Um, There's some great exotics vets in Sydney. Um, Waterloo area, North Shore has some as well. And it would be worthwhile um, getting your rat in to to be seen because there are some treatments that are um, really effective for some of these things. Yeah, the only thing is he's a little bit aggressive. That's why he was surrendered because he had bitten the owners a few times and they didn't want to deal with it anymore. So. Okay. Yeah. I, I reckon that um, your your avian or your avian and exotics vet will be able to handle that without too much yeah. problem. That is not a big issue. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank okay. you very much. Thanks for the call, Abby. So I, I was going to ask, you can go get your rats treated. How long Absolutely. do they live for? Uh, listen, so the average age of a rat is about three years. Mice is about 18 months to maybe two years. Um, so, you know, a one-year-old rat isn't really an old rat. As okay. such, but we see rats all the time. Yeah, they're really common. They, they get a lot of respiratory disease, and we see them all the time. Are you laughing about the mice, Cheryl? Because I've am. told you this morning that my daughter wants mice for, for Christmas. <laughs> so two years, that's – because I had – Short-term um, commitment. I had yeah. snuggles and cuddles when yeah. I was growing up, and I had one of them. I thought it was longer than two years, but probably wasn't. Probably. 
Probably things not. feel like uh, a long time when <laughs> you're do. a kid. When you're a kid, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it's not a life time commitment so you know might be mice yeah (laughs) two good years if we can do it um i'm excited i love mice all right so we're going to go to another caller uh glennis in singleton you've got a five-month-old pup who has become very fussy with her diet yes yes she's a springer spaniel um five months old she's obviously not unwell but she was on propane puppy which became unavailable for a time. Yeah. It just simply couldn't get it. So, like, I tried different other foods, but she simply wouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. When she came from the breeder, she said, you know, to give them mince, either beef or chicken. So now, like, that's all she'll eat. Yeah. Like, she yeah. just wants to eat the... The good I'm stuff. Managed. The extra yummy stuff. So one of the things to keep in mind, at five months old, a Springer Spaniel, um, she's done a lot of her major, major growth. She's still going to do a bit of growing for another sort of four months or so. Um, But a lot of her really rapid growth phase will be settling down. Um, So it may be that she's not necessarily as hungry as she was previously. Um, But she's not having any issues with stomach upset, diarrhea, vomiting, anything like that. No, she seems no. perfectly healthy. healthy. Yeah. And are you feeding her once a day or twice a day? Uh, twice. Twice a day, yeah. Um, and what I what I would do is just, you know, like hold out a little bit for her. Unless anybody's told you that she's particularly skinny. Um, this is often the age, like I said, where their metabolisms are just slowing down just a tiny bit. She's not got a massive, massive growth um, surge happening at, anymore. So I would reduce the amount. If you're trying to get her back on the biscuits, and I, I like a biscuit-based diet because they're very well balanced. I think if you're adding a bit of extra stuff on top, that's not a problem. But just eating the yummy stuff isn't going to be a balance diet for her um, but in a in a healthy dog it's very unlikely that you're going to find her that she that she starves herself if she misses a meal here and there that's okay there's no problem remember in the wild dogs only eat every two to three days so um, if she's you know holding out because she thinks if I just wait and I skip the you know biscuit well, that's food, what it seems like. yeah yeah so you know I would maybe add a little bit of your of your cooked meat in on top maybe make the meals a little bit smaller so she's coming in a little bit hungrier mm-hmm. um and um, you'll probably find within a couple days, if you sort of, you know, put the food down, leave it there for half an hour, some dry biscuit food, maybe with a, a tablespoon or so of the other stuff on top, um, she'll probably sort herself out pretty quick within a few days when she sort of realizes that um, this is this is food, this is, you know, me sitting here making puppy dog eyes isn't going to get me the extra <laughs> yummy stuff. She's working um, you. Yeah, yeah. And it's really uncommon for us to see, you know, young, healthy dogs be very fussy with their food. It's more yeah. likely that we might actually be overfeeding her and she's probably just not very hungry so that's why I say just slim the, the meals back a little bit I tend to tell people offer them for a half an hour to 40 minutes and if she hasn't eaten it in that time pick it back up and just at the next regular meal time offer her a normal sized meal again if she's not hungry it, you know for, for a puppy who seems well if she skips two or three meals in a row um, and certainly if she's looking unwell at all, then, then you'd start to sort of wonder a little bit. But I suspect that you'll just find that she'll she'll work it out very quickly that, okay, this is what's on offer and I have to eat it. Remember, they eat all sorts of other gross stuff, right? They eat dead things, they eat grass, they eat poo, they eat dead animals. Um, she's just probably being a little bit, you know, like if I hold out, mum will give me the really yummy stuff. <laughs> well, she's doing the 16-8 intermittent fasting, yes. which is all the rage apparently. Oh, right. <laughs> few options there. (laughs) It's Pet Chat. Welcome to the show, Catherine Hamilton. Now, you've got a dog that's got quite a dominant play behaviour. 
Yes, yes. Am so, I speaking to Kimberly? Yes, you are. I'm here. Can you describe yes. um, a little bit about your dog and what kind of things it's doing relatively quickly? Yeah, okay. She's a, I've only had her, she's a rescue. I've only had her for a couple of months. She's seven years old. She's a cross, I think, bull Arab, maybe German short-haired pointer. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she's been used as a breeder. She's got very long teeth. Yeah. And the RSPCA desexed her at seven years old. Sure, okay. So when I take it to the park, um, she she plays well, apart from when uh, a dog is quite submissive and it rolls over and then she gets the dog by either the throat or the ear. Mm -hmm. Um, She's not... I don't. I can get her away with a treat. I can put an, a treat down yep. near her nose and say, "Leave it," and come away, and she'll come away. So, um, you know, and she's not ever drawn blood. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I'm just wondering. I'm I'm doing this leave it thing over and over again, and um, I'm just wondering. Number one, maybe the cause of the behaviour, and mm-hmm. number two, if there's anything else I can do, yeah, um, to stop that because it, it upsets. Other people. Other people, yeah. 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 So, listen, I mean, I think, first of all, the fact that she comes away and that you can actually get her to to be distracted by a treat, that's a really, really good thing. That's really important. Um, We need to remember that although dog parks sound really good, they're a very challenging environment for dogs, Um, and particularly for a dog where you don't really have a good idea of what the background is like, what her socialization was when she was a young dog, what kind of things she's experienced. so it may be that she has a bit of a I'll get you before you get me mentality because of a previous experience that she's sort of had. Now, the fact that yep. you can actually distract her away probably is telling me that it is to a certain degree um, somewhat play behavior. Uh, and the fact that she's only targeting the really submissive dogs, um, you know, means that she may not be... Um, not aggressive as such, but she's taking that opportunity to, you know, to have a little bit of dominance over over a dog that's clearly submitting to her. Because it doesn't sound like yeah. she's trying to do that with every dog, just the ones that are already, you know, sort of in that sort of position. Um, yeah. But it is a hard that that is a hard sort of behavior. Um, to decipher, I guess, in terms of what would have caused it and what we can do with it. Um, I think, you know, when you see, because obviously the the dogs on the other side too, there's potentially some issues there with them as well. Maybe they're just puppies and they're showing submission, but maybe those are are highly anxious dogs um, as well. And the more we know about dog behavior, the more we know we don't know about dog behavior, I think. So listen, I guess the thing I would say is continue with the distractions. Um, Try if you see a dog that is, you know, you think is going to to do that submissive behavior, try to distract her before she gets um, to that point. Um, And remembering that that not all dogs do well at dog parks, it may be that it's, you know, sort of pushing her to to a point over the over the limit of where she's um, where she's at. Um, And maybe just if you can have a chat with the owners of the other dogs and say, this is how my dog has in the past played. Are you comfortable with that? Um, or not. It's hard at a dog park because oftentimes you don't know who belongs to which dog and which owner. But you might be able to try to set up a bit more of a one-on-one um, with 
somebody that you know and see if we can foster just really encourage the good behavior and not letting her sort of practice those behaviors that um, we don't want her to do. Um, but I think the fact that you're able to distract her away with food is a really good sign and keep going with that. Um, if you've got other questions, there are a couple good veterinary behaviorists in our local area who might be able to give you some additional um, help with that as well. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> And where and where would I um, where would I find that then, Kimberly? Would it? If, um, if you if you leave a message with um, with the reception, we can I can give you a couple names and Google. There's yep. a, there's and a Google, whole there's yeah. a whole heap that, yep. that comes up in the local area. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. And it is hard because when when you are at a dog park, the dogs yeah. are socialising, but so are the humans. And yeah. as she said, it, it must be hard for Kath uh, when she comes across you know when her dog does yeah, that, and you yeah. don't know the reaction obviously of yeah. other owners. It can be very difficult. It's a little to bit of a yeah. It's an awkward situation, but it it's very trying for some dogs. Like I mean, it really pushes a lot of dogs owners think it's a great idea um, but you know it really pushes a lot of dogs out of their comfort zone to mm. be in a dog park like that now look I think we probably have time for one more question and we've had an email uh, Jenny from New Lambton now Kimberly she said that her dog has got very uh, itchy paws at the moment and they look quite red she wants mm. to know whether that's you know a condition yeah, yeah it is so I've, I'm seeing a lot of this in the last week or so um, so I think probably what's happening in a lot of these dogs is that some of them are um allergic dogs and there's a lot of pollens and grasses and things flying around in the air and they're getting some um, reaction on their feet it's not always that they've walked on something that it's not necessarily that they've contacted something they're allergic to maybe something that they inhaled like a hay fever type response um, the other thing is people are starting to get out and they're going to the the, the lake and the beach and things like that so red feet um, po- we call it pododermatitis and often these dogs will get a superficial either bacterial or yeast infection in the feet they become a bit red and itchy and then the dog's response is to lick them Mm. and the licking causes moisture and bacteria from the mouth to sit on the skin and it tends to make the problem worse so the first thing that i will say to do is you need to stop the licking and that might be some dogs will be distracted by it um if you tell them no they'll stop other dogs need a cone on their head they might need to wear the cone of shame Um, (laughs) you can try just just getting them you know washing the feet with a, a regular shampoo towel drying them and seeing if airing them out we need to actually get those feet to air dry and to get some you know circulation to them right. quite often by the time they come to me we'll often put them on a medicated shampoo and their owners are doing that on a daily basis just giving a foot bath um, leaving it sit for five to ten minutes and then a quick rinse and a towel dry um, and after a couple of days that will settle down but if they're really red or the dog's really insistent on licking at it if there's any blood anything like that um, some of these dogs will need um, a veterinary visit to actually get proper medications and things for them. So. And you know yourself, it is that time of year. I'm on medication mm-hmm. each day now because the eyes are so itchy. There's so many yeah. pollens and I guess our dogs aren't, um, you yeah, know, they're absolutely. susceptible as well. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Some dogs have, have allergies that are, you know, grass seeds and things. Other dogs, it'll be food related. But um, yeah, this time of year, like I said, I'm seeing loads and loads of cases Feels of it. Feels like so. a bad year for it too. Could be after, you know, we've had we've had a lot of rain after a lot of drought. And um, so I think a lot of plants are going to be like, woohoo, yes. playtime. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is lovely. Really. It's beautiful. But yeah. yeah, it's not necessarily great if you're allergic. That's all we've got time for today. Kimberly, it was so lovely to have you back on the show. Thank you. Guest appearance. Come back I soon. Know. I hope so. Yeah. I'll talk to David. <laughs> and Cheryl, lovely to have you as always. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. 
You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.